This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Rum, do you hear something? Yeah, what is that? It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's not that. Ooh, it's the best of the buzz with Bill. Is that right, eh? It's a good sign of things to come. Commentary on trending headlines with veteran AMI producer Bill Shackleton. Well, now. Billy! I say Shack! Yep, I'm back. So the European Space Agency, um, they are, apparently they've sent out a survey and for people that want to apply to go into space. And it wasn't specifically about people with disabilities, but they, they are including, you know, basically everybody in in society. And people, I think they've only had like two in, in two women going into space so far, not NASA, the European Space Agency, which is, uh, I gather, different. So people with disabilities have applied to go into space. Um, so basically, the agency is studying what kind of accommodations they would need to how you're going to accommodate a person with a disability. They're We're going to find about, out how accessible the ISS is, that's for sure. Yeah, there you are. And what about going to Mars or, go, or, or going to uh, the space station or even getting there, yeah, you know, the yeah. rockets even that they to use? Be- that's what I was going to say, to be crammed up in, in some of the shuttles and things that actually go up to space. I mean, you know, disability, space, um, being able to move your limbs this way and that, be cramped up with a whole bunch of other stuff that you're going out with. Unless, of course, we're talking about space tourism again. That's maybe a different picture. But if we're talking, you know, work, things that are more serious uh, to go up to space for, there's going to be a lot of thought process mm-hmm. and work. Well, well, they did. They did you, talk about astronauts, but as you say, Ram, this could be part of a, the bigger picture of getting people with disabilities and women, if they could afford mm-hmm. it, of course, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to actually go into space. See, I, as a I'm tourist. always, I'm always of the belief that there, this is this is more for science than anything, and exactly. they're wondering the effect for persons with different disabilities. I'm certainly sure that the screening process will really get to what they're whom they're really after um what they're trying to learn space's effect on different disabilities different situations so maybe uh you know how how it affects people and you know maybe they'll just uh, you know find those people and in the case of somebody like Rumia send her with her spicy chip and away she goes as long as it's a, enough of a supply in the that they've got on board um Mm-hmm. That's what I feel, and and again, maybe and I don't mean that in a negative way. Maybe some people feel, oh, of course, the only reason they'd send people with a disability up there uh, is is because is for testing purposes. I think everyone that goes up, there's data they want from everybody, and and have always had to gleam from everyone to make it better. Whether it's you know a, a six foot tall male or a five Absolutely. foot to, you know two female, whatever it might be. Well, yeah, that's you know, true. What, what, what came to mind for me is would you send a vision impaired people, a person to space and what would they do? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like the reality is, you know, we are as able and everyone who's gone into space, you've had that. Well, what are you going to do? What's your role? And, and I definitely I, I think we're we know 
it, it doesn't matter. There's jobs you could do. There's just as much as you could do here on Earth uh, on a space mission, as uh, long as you've had the education yeah. and the fitness and everything that they need you to have. I don't think it is just, oh, boy, we can have, you know, make sure that, that disabled people can pay the money and, and go for, you know, uh, one of the one of the uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, flights or something. Yeah. And the thing is, it's a very collaborative thing um, from, you know, ground up, right? So there has to be like all of these questions have to be asked down to to what buttons and uh, what to press and how to press them and all these kind of things. It's like if you start thinking disability specific, Bill, because that was one of my questions too. Well, what is a low vision or a blind person going to go and do in space and how do we do it? But those kind of questions have to be asked. If you're saying we want to consider more disabled people, then that is all of all of the above and not just maybe mobility issues or things like that. We're talking dexterity, everything. Um, but I also love just the diversity of them wanting to to support uh, women, you know, more intersectionality and things like that. It's really to diversify overall. Right. This article is talking about. Yes. And it's I hope NASA does the same thing. I mean, you know, that's. um, Yeah, there's there's. There's there's a lot of possibilities. I mean, we talk about uh, actors and, and this sort of thing. So it's just one area that the space agency feels that it has to do better at is more inclusive well, or inclusion. And, and uh, you know, folks, it, it could just be as simple as that. My whole, well, let's see what kind of test they think they're going to do. Or maybe it's just for the pleasure, you know, pleasure of getting disabled people as equally fair to go into or to travel in space as anybody else. And, and maybe it's as simple as just saying, yeah, we we have to fall under the same criterion that other employers do, and mm. and in societies. school student that uses beet juice to create a life saving um actually it's a suture that she's done it's from we we get story from ctv news you said essentially right uh, yeah beet juice believe it or not sounds kind of weird um yeah apparently well she uses she infuses stitches with beet juice and as I say, it's really uncanny, but apparently what it does is it changes color. If your wound isn't infected, it is infected. So apparently what you do is she's, she's hoping that people in underdeveloped countries or people that don't have, because apparently there is an app that can do this, but a lot of people in underdeveloped countries don't have the money or they don't have access to the, this equipment that you would need. So this is, I mean, you can imagine if you get, um, you know, if, if you get an, if you get a wound and you get stitched up and it gets infected, how do you know it's infected how, unless you saw it or how, what, how would you know? So this is a way that <laughs> apparently beet juice infused with stitches because apparently it changes color oh, um, yes. if the wound is infected. Okay. okay. The pH levels. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
So it's basically turning the sutures into uh, pH tests. I think that's what it is. Because this technology already exists, right? Or or something like this exists where people can uh, tell if the wound's being infected, but it's more about the affordability and access angle for countries for, yeah. and people who can't afford the technology. That's right. I mean, there's a way I think you can do it with an iPhone so where it'll send it to a phone if you're, I don't know how that works exactly, but apparently there are other ways of doing it. But this is, I mean, ingenious. I mean, she's getting worldwide recognition for this. She's, I think she's 16 or 17 years old. Yeah. And it's really amazing what these kids can do, what, what they're thinking of, right? You know what's fascinating to me? Um, this young person spent her high school years not focused on science. It was on... That's right. Uh, Racial equity work. Yeah. Yes, that's that's correct. And now she's, you know, getting recognition all over the place for uh, taking that angle and making it into a kind of a medical breakthrough. I don't know how she goes from one to the other. I mean, how would you how would you equate racial racial inequity to science? But she did. I don't know yeah. how. Well, she I think that, that it's. If if you look at who's getting the least access mm. to medical uh, technologies, it would be, tends to be people in countries that have low income or people who are racialized. So she probably thought, ah, the one thing I can do here is use a low tech method of helping people who develop infections after, uh, after their wounds have been stitched. I think it's brilliant and definitely, uh, connects to equity. Good for her. I know. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, sometimes it's the high school kids who, you know, haven't been told you can't do that. So they just go ahead and do it. And do right? it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And to it, you know what? It's like it's groundbreaking in the sense of tweaks. Right. Like it's not yeah. even that this is a, a new technology. She's saying she heard about this and she's like, this is awesome. But how do we get it out to people who can't afford the technology that already exists? So she's taken everything we've known already and created access just with the angle that she wants to look at it at. And uh, honestly, Danielle, I agree. I think it's incredible. Incredible. Again, fedora's off, right? Mm -hmm. It's really nice. One of the things I love about Kelly and company is we learn so many wonderful, positive things. It's really, it's it's the reason to tune in for me and I'm sure (laughs) for many of our listeners too. And for me. It's a little bit controversial. Greek dog owners protest mandatory sterilization uh, from Associated Press. So apparently um, there is a new law to, that at the time of writing wasn't introduced, but it probably will be, is the Greek government is <clears throat> making sterilization mandatory for pets. So basically they're doing it because they um, because of the sp- <laughs> the spread, a potential spread of diseases, but apparently um, they're concerned about people that are using, that are cruel to animals, and that and the people that do it for the money. I don't know whether I'm in favor of this or not, 
Hmm. So what is it? How are you going to enforce it? Well, okay. Let's talk about why they're doing it. It's because of what people are wanting to breed their cats and dogs all over the place. Yeah. And, and the cruelty. I mean, people, they do it for the money. They don't know how to do it. And female, like female dogs, they breed them till they drop. And then when they're no use, they kill them. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, um, that are cruel and do it for the money. Now, my thing is if I have a, a dog and there's another dog next door, maybe I really do want to breed him. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I just do because my dog and her or him, you know, but you could, (laughs) but there are ways to do it with actual credentials, actual experience. And you really just, you know, management, right? Like doing it properly versus even here, What's the what's the word that I'm looking for? Where you know you're Puppy just like mills. that's it, that's it. Yes, all yeah. over Kijiji uh, and people selling their dogs yeah. and cats all over the place. And then also, well, especially during COVID, Rami, yes. you notice how yeah. so many people and uh, and there are places in Europe, particularly I think Greece may be one of them, where the cities are just teeming with uh, feral animals. Mm-hmm. Cats and dogs are just everywhere. So everywhere. you know, I guess they're saying we, uh, enough of that. And if you want to have a pet, you go somewhere. That's a legitimate uh, breeder and not just, you know, a puppy mill where they're, they're wearing out the, the poor dogs. Yeah. What do you think well, of they, it, Billy? Um, the, the article didn't say that you had to be professional. It said mandatory. Now, I don't know. Um, yeah. I don't know whether I, I, I mean, they're good and bad I, I, to this. I mean, I, if you're responsible, you should be able to breed. And it doesn't. The article didn't say that you that you. It says you. It says mandatory. So I don't know whether that includes professional dog breeders or not. Anything. But can I say something though? Here's the other end of the problem because I recently brought a dog home, right? Like a year and a bit ago. And the one thing that I found to be so chaotic was how do you even know this person's a legitimate breeder? You know, and I went to a legitimate breeder and I was still asking questions and questions and questions. I'm like, can I see paperwork, please? And this person probably thought like, what the heck? Because I just don't know anymore. So everyone's so good at um, selling themselves as a a breeder, right? But you don't know if that's correct or not. So people still get into issues, Billy, where you bring home a dog and then a year or two later you figure out that, you know, the the DNA tests weren't done and this uh, dog is actually... um, you know, uh, potentially going to get hip dysplasia or whatever because of malbreeding. Like it was just, there's tons of stuff going on out there that people are very good at selling and marketing a certain way, but it's not necessarily the truth. So you do end up with, even if you are legitimately buying from what you believe is a real breeder uh, and paying top dollar for it, you may not get what you need um, or what you signed up for. I think the answer to that is make the laws tougher for professional breeders make them that you if you're breeding you have to be pro- provide some sort of proof yeah, that you paperwork you know the paperwork yeah. and, and and you know that makes some sense yeah i you know i i think that the the i can see why people you know with their precious dogs and cats who they want to breed aren't going to like a bill that's going to force them to uh, yeah. sterilize their animals, but I can also see why uh, it might be a good idea in certain cases.
when you watched Concentration or Let's Make a Deal. So essentially, yeah, I was sitting in front of a TV set, but this is an interesting article. Archives will preserve game shows. Now, apparently, there's going to be an exhibition created by Howard Blumenthal. Is Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? And Bob Bowden, it's funny you should ask. This exhibition is going to be showing props and costumes and and, and things that people wore, um, you know, in when they were doing these these game shows. And let's face it, Cam Jenkins or Ken Jenkins has really chimed in on this because, you know, I guess the the real reason is, is because of the popularity of Jeopardy and Alex Trebek. So there's going to be a series of traveling exhibitions and there is an exhibition where you can go and just see what what the setup was like, what the studios were like, what people wore. And let's face it, if you're when you're my age, you grew up, um, you know, because even if you were vision impaired, you could play some of these games on TV. I remember the newlywed game. I remember watching the dating game. There was tons of games. I don't know how many of the games games on the, there is now, but back in my day, there was tons, and it was great to watch. Yeah, and you know, Bill, I you know, being an old radio show collector, there's so many of that Art Linkletter and those people back then oh, yeah. were involved in, and and the old Quiz Kids, um, all these different ones that shot into the to the fifties, went to television, such as Price is Right, and that being you know one of the biggest franchises at all, starting. Uh, so so long ago, um, Brock Richardson and I were having a chat about it one night uh, about how long Price is Right has been around because so many people mm-hmm. have no idea until they start looking at it and go, oh, my goodness. Uh, and as you say, in the 70s, there was so much. And I, I enjoyed a lot of them. Some, as you say, ha- were accessible enough for us to be able to sit there at home and, and play along. Uh, some some maybe not so, and I didn't really in, indulge in some of those. But I even liked all the sound effects, the music, the whole spirit of it. The spirit, eh, yeah. Sometimes some of the things the hosts did were li- left you a little cringy. But, you know, still, it was a lot of fun. Wrong. And there was I, a lot of there was a lot of Canadian like um, Linkletter. Who was uh, was there? Um, I mean, there was there was a show. I remember some of the people on Beat the Clock. There was Bill Stoneman for the Montreal Expos. I mean, there was really Rusty Staub, you know. And 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 back in those days, they really had these celebrities on, and there was a lot of Canadians involved in this. Oh so yeah. Not, well, and we yeah. had our own game shows on here. What was that? Was it was it Reach for the Top? What was the kids yeah, one that the schools been. did? Reach for the top. Reach for the top. And that was a competition amongst high schools in Canada. The the yeah, one I'm thinking, that, if that's, that's right. right. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that's the one. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but and I I should know what what it was. But there was so much that that was around. Um, you know, Monty Hall. Let's make a deal. You know, oh, another yeah. great Canadian. Rum, did only, you watch a lot of these? Like as a as your family at all, or no? Not really. Like I, when I, <clears throat> my family and I barely watch TV together, right? So it was it was really not this type of thing. But as I fractured uh, programming, right? Exactly. As I <laughs> grew up and I saw what other, like for example, what my friends would watch together with their families, like Family Feud and things like that. Um, then I started getting into it on my own, really. But I never have this kind of attachment two game shows and I think that's pretty much why because yeah. I didn't grow up watching it so they're all still like a newer experience for me versus yeah. something nostalgic 
as a kid, I loved Price is Right, especially like in the yeah. summer when I was off school. Um, but again, like you, Rum, I mean, I, I liked a lot. I won't say that I didn't sit down and I think mm-hmm. it probably if I thought about it and people say, well, what ones do you remember? Well, I kind of remember a lot of them, whether yeah. I watched them all the time or not was a different different story. Um, they were kind of that thing to do that were on every day and uh, watching people. I think I loved learning the prices of stuff, eh, Bill? You know, you oh, get yeah. how much, and you think now back to that how you knew, and and if you were doing the showcase showdown uh, for prices, right? You you, you kind of knew what you were doing back then in that sense, and of course we were all big and yeah. If I just had a chance to be on there, I'd win. I'd kick butt. Sure you would. Well, <laughs> it's interesting the prices. I mean, the, how, net compared to what the same things would be available now. Remember, I mean, remember the world were, trips on, on yeah, prices, right? Um, Used to give a trip around the world away. <laughs> Yeah, and it was never. Right. They'd list off everywhere you're going, and I was even as a kid, I'd say, "Well, someone doesn't know their geography. That's not all around the world." <laughs> yeah, the only thing that's missing, guys, from this exhibition that I could see is there's no archival material of the old game shows. So, oh, really? I guess it's just not that I could, not that the article said. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no. You're not going to be able to watch unless I missed it. You're not going to be able to actually watch any of the. You know. Yeah, and I don't know how old. I don't watch the game show channel to know how old they go back. Maybe they have a lot of rights to stuff like that. I, I have no idea. Maybe a lot of it's not around because people didn't keep game shows. They were almost like keeping a live um, you know, show that, that was like a, a variety show where who cares, you know, the stuff. Even soap operas, if you really look back to the old days of television, I don't think most episodes of, of a daily show survived. There wasn't room to keep them. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. Jewish Museum in Berlin opens museum for kids about Noah's Ark. Mm. An interesting museum that is is opening Sunday, which is actually kids in Germany and maybe around the world. Uh, by the way, this is from Associated Press. Actually, help create this museum. It's a teaching tool. When you go, you can build animals out of recycled materials. Um, you can build little arcs out of coffee makers and all this sort of spoons, coffee sticks, this sort of thing. And what the museum aims to do is several things. But basically, the Noah's the arc part of it is inclusive. As you know, everything was included in the arc. That's right. And the museum is the part of that is teaching kids that there's that everyone is included in this world. That there that racism. And and whatever is not inc- is is doesn't belong. Everybody belongs on this arc, and that's the whole idea of the museum. It's um, interesting, Bill, when you see when it you is. say it that way. You how many messages sometimes we miss? You know, how many of us think about that when you know we know Noah's including all the animals on God's earth. But do we think about it that way that there is no BS in the sense of, look, hey, you can't, uh, you know, be, don't be funny about this. Don't be, you know, weird about that. 
And like, I'm, it's like a lot of people would just say, well, who cares about Noah's Ark? That that was old and that was, but the concept is uh, for kids or teaching kids things that they need to know. Um, the interactive part of it is, um, is, is a way to teach kids about raw materials and how they can be reused. And I think, you know, when we talk about recycling and that this is what this is, you can do things with raw materials. Right. Um, yes. And, yes. and that's, that's part of it. I love that. There's just all these different angles to this, right? There's uh, the animals, what they're made of, the whole concept of this entire thing. Um, I feel like there's everything to take away from it. And subtle lessons in that, in the sense of, like you're saying, yeah, so many things yeah. here we're covering off without always feeling that we're pushing it on people because no one, we, we get most resistant when, when we feel that way. So that is tremendous. And when you've done the tour, you, you, you are back into this century where you have rocks and trees. Kids can sit down and they can write their thoughts about what they saw and they can write um, their wishes about how they think you know, what they think the world should be. And the idea that kids help create this museum, and that apparently, according to the creator of the museum, that kids will always be a part of things like mm -hmm. this. Because, you know, what better way to, to teach kids and help them create this because they helped create it. These are the kids who grow into the oh, young adults, teenagers, the young adults, everything, right? So, yeah. And and it realized, as it highlights in the article, that a lot of other things focused in on the museum is um, for adults, right, and, and older people. But this is uh, something they're doing specifically for involving kids. Primarily for kids. Mm -hmm. uh, we need more. I think Some that's... can hang out is... in the middle, too, and complicate life Why questions, not? right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Questions arise about whether to cancel Canada Day celebrations. This is actually the from the Globe and Mail. Uh, I'm sure you've seen and I have seen, I know that I've seen articles that the questions come up, whether or not we should cancel Canada Day celebrations. And basically, there's been several people waiting in on this. The leader of the Conservative Party basically brought up the question, but then he said himself that he doesn't believe Canada Day should be cancelled. He believes that we need to take a sort of a balanced approach. Um, the heritage minister has basically said that we that there there are people that don't think the Canada Day should ever be celebrated and but then we need to we need to think about what we've done. We need to, uh, rather than, you know, our history is not perfect. And, and every country in the world has had things in history that they would rather not um, bring to light. But he suggests that we not cover things up or bring them up and, and build on what we've done. And let's face it, I think you would agree 
that we've come through COVID, we're coming through it, we're winning the battle. Isn't that cause for celebration enough? I don't know. I, th- I think it probably is. Well, that's that's interesting, Billy. I think that there are people who are saying, look, they've, they've found uh, grave sites for 215 children in BC and in Saskatchewan. They've found over 700 unmarked graves. These are on the grounds of residential schools. Canada has a lot to be ashamed of. But in the same breath, people are saying, well, isn't this one of the best countries you can live in, even if it's done, or these horrible things? We should be facing up to what we've done. We shouldn't hide those things. But we can still say, you know, like every other country, we're imperfect. We've done awful things. We need to talk about it. We need to teach our kids about it. But let's not forget that, you know, we're still glad we live here. Do, what, what do you think about that idea? Well, I, 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 I do think that, you know, um, as, as horrific as these graves have been, have been, COVID affects all of us. And I, you know, I mean, we, we've gone through a lot. And, I, and yeah, we need to talk about our history. We need to teach kids. We need to. Uh, admit that okay, we've we've we're not perfect. I mean, we've we've done some wrong things, and we need to get better. We need to build on um, the good things we've done, and we and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. It's um, uh, we de- should definitely be celebrating um, our heritage. You know, we have democracy in this country. I think we have a lot going for it, and and let's not tear it down. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot um, on, on a personal level, you know, and recognizing why people want to cancel Canada Day um, and why we're really, you know, expanding this conversation uh, beyond just a thought, right? And and even seeing some action towards it. And I, I do go back to just feeling like this is a very individual conversation for a a lot of us, let's say nationally Canada Day gets canceled, right? As a hypothetical, um, still in our minds, in our homes, in our families, people with various backgrounds, people who've come to Canada from other situations and terrible um, situations from other countries and now find the blessing of being here, right? Or the the stories and, and backgrounds that we've come to, to be in this country for, there's still cause for recognition, Um and appreciation of Canada as a country and and the the creation of of what it's done for us. You know, I'm one of those people. I feel blessed to be to be living here, to be uh to be able to be in a country like this during this time as you're saying Billy and just in general to appreciate so kind of the in that sense it's very individual for a lot of us on why we we celebrate Canada Day or just recognize it as something positive, something to remember um, us being on this land for. And I totally, you know, understand that we can't just skip over what's happened um, before us in this country and for to the people who, who've been here from forever ago. So that is, of course, part of the conversation, but it doesn't, it's not all of it, I guess. Uh, when we're thinking Canada Day 2021, what does it mean to us, dot, dot, dot? It's not all of the conversation. So, yeah, it does It does take a lot of different directions. And it should I, be, uh, it should be an, 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 it's an individual basis and not, I don't think so, a few um, people should get together, so just ban it, ban it, ban it. No, it's individual. 
Well, some people have said, you know, if, if you knew that your next door neighbor was having a, a funeral, would you have a big party with fireworks? So, you know, that's kind of an interesting question. It, it, it might be. Yes. <laughs> yes, you would have. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know Hilly's what like, you put think. up a fence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, some people have said, well, maybe we should celebrate Canada Day, but more quietly this year. Do, sure. Does, do you like that one, Billy, or no? Yeah, I, th- I think that that's an alternative. And in fact, some, I think Victoria, they said they were, I mean, it's easier to cancel virtual events because you don't have to deal with all the, log- all the logistics of seating and this sort of thing. So um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, canceling things may, you know, if it's virtual, it can be more quiet um, because people, and maybe that's one way to go. I mean, maybe we, maybe virtual is perhaps when this is over, um, how how are we going to celebrate Canada Day without being too intrusive? Maybe we can do it virtually, and then who knows? Bill Shackleton is a usual suspect on our show, Kelly and Company. You can catch Billy sneaking around the studio on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for more of The Buzz. All right, see ya. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.